Welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I am Joey Woodrow. I'm Sally Gentry. And we have a power-packed podcast for you. That was a tongue twister. Wasn't that easy to say, guys? Uh, But today (laughs) we're going to focus on research, the research aspect of donation. Yeah, we talk about donation for transplantation, but when transplant is not an option, donation for research is often a great alternative that has potential to save even more lives. My goodness, the advancements that have been made in research is just phenomenal. And along with that information, we're going to tackle the unrealistic expectations people have of grief. Oh, okay. Lots to get to today. We'll fill you in on all that and much more here on The Gifted Life. We know that you're listening. We thank you. We want your friends to listen, too. You can find us almost anywhere, Lori. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever your favorite podcast app may be. I should have gone, woo, that's great. We love that you can find us anywhere. (laughs) Anywhere. Download us and share, 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 please. A lot of what we talk about you'll find on our social media sites. So Facebook, it's Donate Life Louisiana. Instagram, Twitter, at Donate Life LA. Just that simple. Well, and don't forget, you can always call us 504-648-3477. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, leave a voicemail. We could use your audio here. It is our goal to spur those healthy conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. You are part of our team. You can make a difference. So hang on to your hats. We got lots to get to. Guys, have a new friend to introduce you to. Cindy Reed, she joins us now from the Iowa Alliance iBank. Hey, Cindy. Hey. We appreciate you joining us here on The Gifted Life. We like to spur those healthy conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. And we thought a great topic would be to turn into the research and the hope that lies there. So on an earlier episode, we talked about organs and tissues for research. Uh, Now we want to focus on your specialty and that would be eyes for research. Not only do you know it professionally, but you have a personal tie there. So we appreciate you joining us. Before we start, Cindy, Joey, um, let's talk about when it comes to research, those organs and tissues for transplant. Uh, that's our number one main goal. Right. So, of course, we want to fulfill that family's wishes and that person's wishes if, if they've chosen to donate. We try to facilitate uh, transplantation and, and saving lives. But, of course, There's that whole other realm, that whole other aspect Mm -hmm. of donation that we could choose to go through the research route. As we mentioned in an earlier episode, uh, you know, research is truly an investment in the future. Certainly, we try to to save as many lives as possible and enhance as many lives through organ tissue and eye donation through transplant. But certainly research is one of those routes that, that we try to pursue. All right. And so, Cindy, when it comes to eye donation, is that along the same lines as organs and tissues, uh, what Joey just mentioned? Absolutely. Um, There's a tremendous need for donated eye tissue in this country. In fact, the need far outstrips the tissue that we're able to collect for a variety of reasons. And these last couple of years, it's um, been a little bit of a worry because the funding for research from the federal government in particular has been scaled back severely. I understand, too, that you do have a personal tie to eye donation research. 
Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, absolutely. And actually, this this job at the Iowa Lions Eye Bank turned into my dream job because of it. So in 1992, my little brother died of brain cancer, and uh, the hospice nurse offered us the chance to donate his eyes. And so we did. And when I came to work at the Eye Bank in 2004, um, my mother sent me the letter that she had received thanking her for that donation. And it was at that point in time that I discovered that my brother's eyes were donated for research. Mm-hmm. And the Eye Bank had been providing tissue to the researchers at the Institute for Vision Research for, oh, I don't know, a long time, 20, 30 years by then. And so um, the primary project that they were collecting research donated eyes for was for glaucoma and macular degeneration and genetic eye diseases. And let me just tell you, uh, research is sort of the long game. You know, transplant is pretty immediate, Um, not for the patient, but from donor to transplant usually happens within about a week or so. Um, But research is a long game and you've got to be patient. And um, one of the first projects, research projects I participated in here at the iBank was um, looking for folks in Iowa that might have a genetic defect called Labor's congenital amaurosis. And so we worked with the Iowa Lions to scour their communities because they were looking for folks that were either born blind or went blind before school age. That's the hallmark of this disease. And the University of Iowa had developed a genetic test to try to figure, and they had figured out which gene was missing. Now they were, at that time, they were looking for folks then to see if the test worked and to validate it. So fast forward then. Uh, another 10, 12 years, and today our researchers here and our clinicians are participating in a clinical trial that takes a gene correction inserted into a virus because what do viruses do? They replicate, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So the gene correction is in the virus, and that's inserted into the eye, and they've actually restored sight to people that were either blind before they went to school or were born blind. That's amazing. I mean, it's truly a miracle, but oh, it's, it's the long game. Uh-huh. You know, it, it, it didn't happen when we found our first person that was positive for this um, missing gene. But um, So you have to be patient, but the results are incredible. You're also an RN and you have a PhD. D- uh-huh. Were you actively in nursing Um Prior to this, or have you been a professor, or or what got you into the research? Besides, <laughs> I mean, I I know that you know your brother certainly had a big role to play for that. It's sort of a funny story. So I was a nursing director in a community hospital for about thirty years, and then uh, uh, and I I had a blast. But then I got a divorce and decided to go back to school and uh, get a, a PhD. And actually, I got a, a doctorate in theology as well, because I was oh, wow. interested and um, was had full intentions of, of moving to a university in Missouri and teaching and doing research. That's what I wanted to do. And then, you know how how the universe arranges things sometimes? Then I met this guy. And <laughs> here we are 14 years later, and um, uh, I'm still firmly rooted in Iowa. So um, after I got out of school, Um, I didn't want to go back to my old job as a nursing director. And so looking around, uh, someone who had been an intern under me had his name 
attached to a job for a director at the iBank. And I didn't really know what an iBank was mm-hmm. at that time, but I called him up and threw my hat in the ring, and here I am. Wow. <laughs> That's a great story. I, I yeah. think you made a pretty good pick uh, from what we're hearing, Miss <laughs> Cindy. Yeah. So well. <laughs> uh, when it comes to the Iowa Lions iBank, do you have researchers in-house, or how does that work there? Oh, my goodness. This is so exciting. So up until about three or four years ago, we provided research tissue to the Institute of Vision Research. And my boss did a few of his own research projects, which we participating in, really dealing with um, looking at how to make transplants better. Then we got a new faculty, Dr. Greiner, and he wanted to do all sorts of other research. It it. Actually, on a personal level, it drives Dr. Greiner crazy <laughs> when he does a transplant and for some reason it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Perfect cornea, perfect patient, perfect surgery, perfect recovery, and all of a sudden the cornea goes cloudy, bam. And that actually happens in this country about 5% of the time. So it's awful for everybody. It's awful for the patient awful for the doctor. And, you know, we feel sort of a sense here at the iBank of personal responsibility, like what, you know, what went wrong here? And, and up until um, Dr. Greiner's research, we really didn't have a way to figure that out. So he came to the iBank and set up a research lab. And he started looking at um, what, how, how are these cells functioning? How can we measure if they're functioning or not? Because right now we look at them and they look great. But, you know, it's just like with people. A lot of people look great, but they don't really function very well. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. Sally says, "Eh, yes, okay. (laughs) So, and it's it's the same with these cells. They can look really great, but we can't really tell if they're functioning or not. And so um, Dr. Greiner got a grateful patient who had exactly the experience that I just described, donated some money, and he bought this incredible machine called the Seahorse. And so we've been doing research with the seahorse and now have developed um, all of the measures to tell whether the cornea works or not. Um, and we're, we're moving forward with that and trying to figure out right now what we have to do is take a piece of the cornea to figure that out. So we're working on trying to translate that so we don't have to take a piece of cornea because, you know, a surgeon can't transplant a cornea if we take a piece of it. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work. So. We're still um, bridging that gap, but it's allowed us to look at um, a variety of things, um, and especially our number one concern at this point in time is diabetes, because so many people in this country are diabetic, so many of our donors now are diabetic, and we have figured out that there are issues when when somebody's a diabetic, um, no matter what. Uh, if they're on insulin, um, they're at risk to have difficulty. Not everybody does. Um, some things go very smoothly, but they're at a higher risk because of the diabetes. And so we're looking at ways to make those cells as healthy as possible before they're transplanted. And then also once they're transplanted um, into a recipient and have restored sight, how can we keep them healthy despite the diabetes? Yeah. So My those goodness. are some of the things we're looking at now. And it's it really, it's it's very, very exciting. Well, and we love listening to you tell us these stories because we can hear the passion. And when we were preparing for this interview, you said, you know, heroes, they're heroes. And you have a personal tie, so um, we know that you must celebrate every um, advancement 
that comes your way. Absolutely. And you know the one we're getting ready to celebrate, <laughs> my family. Um, and the other thing is that my stepmother, when she died three years ago, she was also an eye donor for research. Mm. So we have a very strong family tie. Mm-hmm. We're gonna. There's a, a run walk coming up in Iowa uh, here in a couple weeks, and our family is walking, and we've got our T-shirts, and we're all set to go. Oh, that's great. Um, and, you know, probably, actually, that's not unique at this eye bank. There's probably half a dozen of us who have um, families who have been donors. So, I mean, we really get it. The advancements that my family is getting ready to celebrate actually come out of Utah. We had a researcher here working on macular degeneration mm-hmm. who moved to Utah about, oh, I don't know, five or six years ago, maybe some time ago. He's really close to making a breakthrough mm, to actually wow. stop macular degeneration. And in in my family, it runs in my family. My mom's got it. My grandma had it for like 25 years. And so I can see this train coming. Mm, so, yeah. Is this genetic then? It is genetic. But you know what? The thing about macular degeneration is a lot of people have the genetic predisposition, which means... Right. Their genes are ripe for developing the disease, but uh-huh. they don't all develop the disease. Huh. They don't all develop the disease. And one of the things that Dr. Hegeman figured out is that the same pathway in your body that starts macular degeneration also starts aortic aneurysms and wow. cardiac disease. Wow, yeah. that is something. We need to figure yeah, out. Yeah, more you know. Yeah, that's that's amazing. The breakthroughs that you guys are finding out there. Yeah. We talk a lot here about not ruling yourself out. You know, because a lot of people think, well, I've got diabetes, and you mentioned it earlier, or I've got this or that, or cancer, as in your brother's case. We talk about the fact that even with cancer, you can still donate. You can still save a life. You can still invest in the future and possibly save lives in the future through research. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the number of, of recoveries and opportunities that, that are out there, even with hospice or, or people with terminal illnesses? You know, here's the thing. It's, it, there is an opportunity every day and people should not rule themselves out. I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, oh, I wear glasses, you know, yeah. nobody's going to want my eyes. And it's like, oh, no, 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 yeah. no, um, <laughs> yeah. you don't understand. And then I get to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, there's always the opportunity for research. And the thing is, there are so many efforts going on around the country. And the, the, the difficulty with research is it, it's sort of a domino effect because when researchers aren't funded, to the level that they need to be funded at, or their projects aren't funded at all, then they can't um, help reimburse iBanks for the expense to go out and actually recover the donated tissue. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of an uphill battle that we face. And actually last year, um, even though we had all but the three smallest iBanks in the country participate in research donations, and 26 of us actually recovered more donated tissue than we had previously, Um, we were overall, we were down by about 19%, which is not the way we want to see it go, because our country counts on these research advancements for its health. I mean, we're, we're lagging behind in the U.S. 
um, with our ability to advance, and that's related to funding, and that's related to people's awareness about, yes, I can help. Yes, I can donate. Yes, I can be a part of the long game and a part of somebody's success in the future. And it doesn't matter what, what your disease is. It doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, we have an infant program now. Um, we live, uh, we office close to a university hospital. And unfortunately, some pregnancies um, don't result in a live baby. And it's, it's a tragic situation, but those parents have the opportunity to donate that child's eyes. And there have been phenomenal strides made in glaucoma because of that program, because of understanding developmentally how things are happening in the eyes, because we know what part glaucoma impacts and we know how the disease looks and what it does. And we sort of know how it develops, but knowing more about how the eye develops is a huge advancement in understanding how glaucoma takes hold and creates blindness. And it is the number one cause of blindness in the world. And we're learning more because of heroes. You mentioned it earlier. Here on The Gifted Life, we like to honor our heroes. We do that every episode. We know you mentioned your brother. We want you to say his name and tell us something you remember about him to help us get to know him, if you will. Oh, my goodness. Um, Ricky, uh, Ricky Robert Reed, he, Ricky was a musician. He had a passion for music that caused him to get a paper route when he was 10 years old so he could buy his first guitar because my father thought it was foolish. Um, and he left high school and joined a band and got his degree later and was a musician in Minneapolis when the tragedy struck. The hilarious thing we remember about Ricky's funeral was um, he had been in the Minneapolis music scene for, I don't know, about 10 years or so, maybe a little bit longer. And all of a sudden, this you know, we're in little tiny Des Moines, Iowa, right? Mm -hmm. In a very modest, middle-class, working-class neighborhood. And all of a sudden, this bus pulls up and folks get out of this bus and they've got, this is 1992, so they've got piercings, they're in black leather, they've got orange hair, they've got chains like from the nose to the ear. I mean, they've all this stuff, right? And, you know, my my, my poor mother's like, what? What, what is this? And it was um, folks uh, from the Minneapolis music scene that had come down to come to his funeral. Oh, oh no. Memories. So, oh, yeah, we think, we think they loved him just as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Well, we thank you for sharing that. We thank you for uh, what Ricky has given because uh, he helped with uh, some of these advancements you were so excited to talk about today and share with us. So we appreciate you. Obviously, it sounds like you're doing a great job where you are. If folks want to learn more about what it is that, that you do, how can they uh, learn more? Well, they can go to www.iowa.com lions, plural, ibank.org, uh, um, and there's tons of information there, um, especially even if, if folks don't, uh, aren't, obviously, if you're going to our website, you're not quite a donor just yet, and so um, you can also financially donate to our research efforts or to your local iBank's research efforts. Um, if you're listening to this on the West Coast, there's a ton of activity going on there, East Coast, and really in just about every state, there's research going on and there's people in need of funding. Um, you can also go to the National 
um, iBanking site, the uh, iBank Association of America, and that is www.RestoreSite.org. So R-E-S-T-O-R-E-S-I-G-H-T.org. And they have a lot of information as well. Perfect. Cindy Reed, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much, you guys. This was fun. Call me again. Yes, thank you. guys so i was sick a couple of episodes back missed some episodes you guys did great without me but you started something new did we were we supposed to vote oh, what happened? no there's what? no vote once, <laughs> i see that no i know out, that's it i know you lose but, it. <laughs> so you tried something new it worked great feedback from it and that is when we uh feature sally and what she does best give her a hard time here on the podcast uh but she is our mental health professional right of course, she's got the entire alphabet behind her last name. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> but Sally is a mental health professional. That's right. So we're going to put your talents to use, right? Um, so today we're focusing on unrealistic expectations of grief. You're going to kind of walk us yep. through that. Hold That's our right. hands. Yeah. Well, and you know, we're just going to kind of talk about this because I'm sure you all have been to uh, funeral services where, you know, families are, are standing by the casket and different family members or, or, or just friends, relatives, whatever, come up and, and will say different things to you. And it's almost like you're just trying to make me feel better. And no matter what you say, I, I don't feel better about this. And, you know, some of the, and I did write down some of the things that families had told me and said that, you know, they'll hear people say, well, you know, you're going to get over this. It's just going to be a short period of time and you'll be feeling better. Well, that's not a good thing to say. Um, it really puts people in an awkward position because they're not sure how to respond to that. Sometimes people will say, you know, grief does just, it declines, a steady decline. Uh, two, three months, you're going to feel better about this too. And, you know, from talking with donor families, you, you all know that grief never goes away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It certainly becomes less intense. Uh, emotions are not quite as raw. Um, but it, it just never goes away, and I don't, I'm not so sure we ever want it to go away. Um, it does keep us a little bit more in tune, I think, with our feelings and how we felt and continue to feel about the person that, that is mm-hmm. no longer with us. I know, too, that it says uh, some people say, well, you know, when your grief is resolved, it just won't come up again. Well, mm-hmm. y- you know, mm-hmm. Laurie, that's mm-hmm. not true. It, it, you found that over time with your mom, right. it does come up. And I'm sure if your dad also. And it, it does make a difference. Yeah. And, you know, I'm listening to you and I'm cringing here because I may say some of those things because because of my experience, I get anxious um, in those settings and sure. don't know what to say when it's when it's my turn. I normally don't have trouble talking, but in those situations, I I have a hard time. So, yeah, I'm listening. I'm learning. And another thing that you will hear people say that, well, if, if I, you know, my husband is deceased, so if your son or daughter has died, I'm saying, oh, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah, yeah. And you will hear people say yeah. that, to, oh, yes, I know exactly how. Well, we all have mm. feelings that are different from one right. another. They're similar types. The no, mm. right. They're not the same. And I think one thing that uh, a coworker said to me the other day was very important. She said, 
You know, I had a friend that came up to me and said, I am just so tired of people saying, I'm sorry for your loss. And she said, it's like, don't say that because you can't be sorry for something mm-hmm. you have not created or caused. Mm-hmm. And I think we just don't know what to say. Because That's me. Yeah. yeah. I, I get stuck with like, that's the only thing that, that comes into my head because I don't have clear thinking yeah. because I am so anxious. And so, oh, I got to work right. on that. Right. Help me, Sally. Help well, me. Well, and, and you know, I think what a really good phrase is, uh, I know this must be a very difficult time for you. Is mm-hmm. there anything I can do to help? Mm-hmm. It can be just that simple. Because what else can you do? Yeah. I mean, this has already happened for the person. You know, this is going to be an experience they will have to go through. But maybe there's one little thing you can do that can help them out. So the one thing I've been trying to do, but I've been to a, a couple of services for for friends. Um, but I love when folks share good memories of my mom oh, or absolutely. my dad or those kinds of yes. things. So I try to bring that up, either text or email following or something like that. To say I I did know I do care right I just couldn't tell you that at the mm-hmm. at that time right yeah right. on occasion you will hear people say well just be brave you know keep a stiff upper lip and and when uh, I hear people say those things I'm thinking I know you mean well mm. but that's not a good thing either right you know just just ask what can I do to help you yeah so hopefully I that like- will be some help for folks yeah I like this segment you guys a plus. Mm-hmm. Don't do it again without me. Move okay. forward okay. with something. <laughs> Kidding. <laughs> but uh, more to come on the next episode of The Gifted Life with Sally uh, when we talk about these types of issues that our families are talking yes. about. Yeah. All right. More to come. On The Gifted Life podcast, we honor a hero. Today, that hero is Matthew Manning. Matthew Manning was a beautiful person inside and out. Matt was very close to his family and collected many lifelong friends. Growing up, he was the youngest of four children, with three older sisters who loved, adored, protected, and spoiled him. As an adult, Matt was an enthusiastic outdoorsman, enjoyed hunting, camping, and playing golf. His need for speed, passion was fulfilled by racing four-wheelers and motorcycles. A skilled handyman, he could build and fix anything. Matt enjoyed volunteering for youth wrestling camps. In a written tribute to Matt, his co-workers from Oakdale, Iowa Medical Classification Center recalled his memorable gifts to them. Quote, gifts of your knowledge, your fist bump and brace, and the gift of the smiles you left all over the place, end quote. His wife, Katie, lovingly remembers his unique marriage proposal and will never forget the look on his face when he first saw her on their wedding day. Because of Matt's genuine and caring personality, it was no surprise to his family that he was a registered donor. Always giving the best of himself to others, his loving parents and grandparents understood the impact of his final gifts through cornea and tissue donation. To see Matthew and learn more about heroes from our partners in Iowa, visit iowalionseyebank.org. And at this time, we pause and say thank you to Matthew for the gift of life. question and answer segment today here on The Gifted Life. This comes to us uh, from our Facebook page. We love when folks interact with us. Uh, mm-hmm. The question is, how can I go about finding out information on my daughter's organs if they have saved anyone's life? Um, it will be four years this June, and our grief is finally at a stage that we can talk about things and would love some information. Joey, do we have an expert on hand that could possibly 
cover that topic? We do. It happens to be Sally. Sally, Sal. Questions for you, Sal. All righty. Well, yes, we can certainly help you with this information you're looking for. If you would, please email us at familyservices at lopa.org, or you can give us a call at 504-837-3355 and ask for family services, and one of us will be able to help you with this request. All right, there you have it. I was at a presentation, and folks were asking, uh, they were so many years out, and they thought that the opportunity was over to be able to, to reach out because they didn't do it immediately. Not the case, right? No, no. At any point in time, if a family decides, you know, I've waited a number of years because I just could not do it sooner, right. we'll be glad to research so we can find out for you. Um, that also applies to families whose loved one was a tissue donor. Uh, many times we can get lots of information from the tissue bank and uh, we can let them know how many folks that, you know, their lives have been not only uh, saved, but improved and enhanced uh, through tissue donation. Incredible process. Great question. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, maybe you have a question or a topic you want us to cover. Info at lopa.org. That'll do it for episode 83 of The Gifted Life. Learned a lot, huh? We did, yes. We want to first thank Cindy Reed out of the Iowa Lions Eye Bank for sharing such great information about eye research and how that preserves an opportunity that might not otherwise be there for those donors. And it was really good for her to share with us about her brother, Ricky, a great story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I loved how she lit up there. Uh I like that. All right, so thanks to Cindy and all our partners uh, across the country for working with us uh, to spread information about organ tissue and eye donation. Now we want you to go out and do something that you don't normally do to help us make life happen. You can do it. Maybe this inspires you to sign up to be a donor. You can do that at registerme.org. All right, we'll talk soon. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreaux, and Sally Gentry. Our producers are Kirsten Hines and Shalon Carraway. We are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Metairie, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. Mm-hmm.